<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, and it is Friday. It's uh, Anything Goes Friday, but also Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour. Uh, he of the uh, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the uh, you know, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov, and you can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. It's great having you with us. Our, our building is doing a, a fire alarm drill right now, uh, right. which I don't think we're supposed to ignore, but uh, we're going to. <laughs> I don't know if it's picking up any of the noise uh, in the background. If it does, my apologies. But um, uh, I, 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 We were talking, uh, you and I, on the phone just before we went on the air about this, this news story that just came out that the Trump administration is going to... Uh, I mean, these are my words, not theirs, but basically try to break the Social Security Administration so that they can say, hey, look, at it, it's broken. Let's just privatize it. Let's give it off to the Wall Street billionaires. Uh, you know, a 25 percent staffing cut uh, roughly at the Social Security Administration. This is mind boggling. You know, the, when you look at what programs people say they value the most, and, you know, Social Security and Medicare are on the top of the list. And uh, to go and, and try to do whatever you can to get rid of this program, it's bad enough that Paul Ryan uh, continually introduces, uh, pr- you know, d- proposal after proposal to privatize Social Security to, you know, make it a casino with with your money. Uh, but now uh, to watch them do this, you know, let's also remember that they're down about 10 percent in staffing levels from 2011, and they've got a backlog of over a million disability claims right now. So, you know, people already are waiting, uh, I think it's like an average of 16 minutes on the phone to, to connect with someone. To do a, a cut like that is going to do exactly what you said. It's going to try to make the program not work and be ineffective, and then they can go, oh, look, see, we've been saying all along we've got to fix this. And, you know, it's it's unfortunately, um, part and parcel to what we've seen. And this isn't just under Donald Trump, unfortunately. This has been going on for quite a while with the Republicans. Yeah, tragically. I mean, well, I mean, Republicans have hated Social Security ever since it was put into law in the 1930s. It's just, it's just been their, their kind of default mode. I noticed uh, Paul Ryan, uh, you know, your, your nemesis and uh, colleague and the guy who uh, uh, represents the district that you were born in, right next door to yours, uh, there in Wisconsin, uh, held his first press conference or his first town hall in two years, was it, this week? Actually, it's Monday night, and it's... it's oh, it's going to be really next week. A town hall. So a town hall, as I've always understood them, and I've been doing this for 23 years, is you uh, open it up to whoever wants to come. Uh, you listen to people unhindered. You know, you let them have their say, and uh, you have a conversation to answer questions. This is something that CNN is putting on, so it's really more of a media event. Um, people had a say, you know, who they are to come in to get allowed to even be there. They're picking the people, and then even you have to say what political party you are, because I think they're going to go back and forth on questions. So it's a, a media event, and he's going to answer some questions, but I don't know if I'd quite call it a public town hall. I think he's still, it's been over 670 or 80 days since he's actually done one of those. So it's basically just a media event. 
Amazing. Yeah, and he's trying to build it as a, a town hall. And again, you know, I've done four real town halls in his district. You know, anyone can come. Uh, I listen to anyone about their concerns. Uh, that's what we generally do in a in a public town hall. And he's trying to kind of rewrite um, what those are because he's not willing to have that open conversation with his constituents. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, it's been quite a week since we've, since we last spoke, you know, the, the Charlottesville (laughs) thing happened, the, you know, Trump, you know, uh, it's the same, it's moral equivalence. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot has, has, has gone on in this last week. And, uh, I got a, uh, kind of a funny, uh, uh, email this morning from a friend of mine. Um, he was, it's a little poster. It says, uh, dear God, if you want us to impeach Trump, please give us a sign. Like, blot out the sun any time in the next week. Thanks, Americans. Um, but, uh, you know, now we're hearing, I mean, this morning, uh, Joe Scarborough was talking about, you know, Trump should resign, that he just, he, he doesn't uh, have the mental faculties that he had even a decade ago. I, it seems like to me like the worm is turning, that Republicans are starting to, there's some pressure starting to build to, because to, they, they realize that this guy is, is craziness is impeding their ability to get tax cuts for billionaires and screw yeah. people on on Social Security and Medicare, which is like such a high priority for the Republicans that I think they're willing to throw Trump out if if he's going to block them from doing that. Well, you know, in two fronts, you know, one has been this just, you know, rock bottom uh, week, I think, of him defending uh, white supremacists and Nazis and going back and forth. And then when he gets to really express himself, you saw what he really believes you know that that's unconscionable for someone who's the president or any kind of uh, major elected office. I mean, uh, that alone. Uh, I, I think when people start talking about the Twenty Fifth Amendment, you know, is he actually capable to be president? I think that's the real debate right now that people should be having. And you know, I give Senator Corker credit, you know, for being one of the few to actually say that on the Republican side of the aisle. That you know, they're really questioning whether or not this person is capable. I saw Al Gore say that that he should resign. Um, so that's part of it. But then also, like you said, on the business side, you know, his business councils, he had to get rid of them because so many people were leaving them. They were going to leave in mass on one of them, so he just got rid of them. Now he's not doing an infrastructure council that he was going to do. So what we're finding is maybe that the the key point this week is when that wing of the Republican Party, which is still a big chunk of the Republican Party, that more traditional business you know, wing of the party, if they're starting to turn away, that might be what we needed. We needed someone to take, some, some major entity within the Republican Party to take that first break. And this might be it. You know what's so amazing to me, Congressman, is that the, the Council of Evangelicals has not lost a single person. Now, these are the people who are supposed to be representing moral authority. The reality is um, uh, many of them, I, I, I would argue probably most of them, are actually just superstars in the business of religion and uh, in many cases running wildly profitable, although being not profits, you call it a fund balance or you pay it out in high salaries, but wildly profitable megachurches. Um, any, any thoughts on why it is that none of the so-called conservative Christian evangelicals, end quote, um, have have left Trump? Well, I think of that upper echelon, like you said, I mean, these are folks who live rather extravagant lifestyles, many of them, uh, because of the profits uh, that they make, uh, even though there are a nonprofit through, um, you know, their, their churches. But I think the difference is, for many people, they're all waiting for their issue they care most about, that they want to, you know, they kind of put up with this guy so that they can continue to have anti-choice policies or whatever it is that their issue uh, that they kind of advocate for. So everyone's kind of put up with this guy for a long time. I just think when, you know, something is as outrageous as there are very fine people who happen to be Nazis or white supremacists, um, at that point, you kind of need to say something. And the fact that they're not the first one, I give the business community credit. They were the first major constituency of the Republican Party to say, no, we can't stand by this. And I think that may just be that catalyst we need to get others to now be able to stand up and show they have a spine. But, you know, uh, it's pretty bad when people who proclaim to have the moral authority don't use it. Um, You know, it would be nice if they would actually do their job. Yeah. Whose health care would Jesus cut? Um, But but I'm I'm wondering if, you know, you you took a kind of non-cynical point of view on it. My totally cynical point of view on it is that the the business guys 
looked at this and said, this guy is such a such a mess. He's, he's a walking, you know, it's like Pigpen from the old Peanuts comic strip. You know, he's just he's a he's a walking dust cloud and and um, that he has now pretty much eliminated the possibility that we're going to get the tax cuts. And he's already got Scott Pruitt doing the deregulation and he's already got Ryan Zinke, you know, selling off, you know, federal lands and things. So we're getting what we want in that regard. But with regard to the, the other things, the big tax cuts that we were hoping for, you know, uh, screw it. It's not worth the trouble. Whereas the evangelicals are still hoping that the Johnson Amendment will go away, you know, that they'll be able to right. nakedly involve themselves in politics. And I, I think Trump, didn't he sign an executive order or something to that effect in the last day or two? Yeah, he's done some movement on it. And, you know, I, I think I know what you're saying on the, the cynical versus the non-cynical. I mean, I just look at, you know, I think for the business community, not only could this affect their ability to get the tax breaks done, but also uh, they're getting a lot of pressure from people saying, you can't be a part of this council. Uh, we, we won't do business with you, right? right. There also was that profit side I think they had to face. But the fact that, again, you know, if they're the first major constituency within the Republican Party, you know, in this case, I think they deserve some credit. And, you know, it's, it's ironic it wasn't the so-called moral portion of their uh, party to stand up for uh, morality. But uh, we'll take what we can get because I think it's going to be possible. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the rest of the hour. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's Middays with Mark. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls here on the Tom Hartman program right after this break. And uh, welcome back. Um, uh, Mark in Las Vegas, Nevada. You are on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Mark, meet Mark. Yes, not to confuse the issue. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm the other Mark. (laughs) There you go. Hey, uh, yes, a couple of things. Actually, originally I wanted to make a brief comment, but I'd like to add a couple of things to that. I won't take much time. The uh, first is, is that... We asked people to come with one question for the congressman, Mark. What's your question? Okay. Uh, how is it that we don't call the Republicans saboteurs and what they're doing sabotage to our very basics of civilization? Great question. Yeah, you know, I think what we've been um, doing is, on many fronts, if we want to do what I think many of us want to get done, which is, you know, have a president who's an adult and not going to put our country at risk and a party that's going to ruin the the country as we know it, we've got to to make our case strong. So um, I've found uh, often, we've been told by a lot of people do communications that when you attack, um, sometimes when we attack Trump, we actually embolden him among his base. So there's certain strategies, I think, that we try to employ as we talk about it. Uh, so in, in this last case of this week, I mean, this really is the, the moral uh, opportunity, I think, where we can just say, look, this, this guy just defended very fine people who are Nazis and white supremacists. Like, you know, this is a turning point. This is like the lowest I think he's gone yet. And we, we're trying to get the Republicans to not just put out a aggressive tweet, but actually, you know, can we censure him? Can we uh, talk about the 25th Amendment? Is this guy really uh, balanced and stable enough to be the, the leader of the free world? I think we're still trying to partially make our case because we need Republican support to do any of the things from impeachment to censure all require Republicans, and they are in charge of the House and the Senate. So while we certainly could make out um, uh, that make the case in much stronger terms, I think sometimes that backfires on us, and we're trying to do it to the point that we can be effective and get these things done, because I do think he is a risk to this country, and we need to um, make sure that we can be effective in, in dealing with him, whether it be from censure to the 25th Amendment to impeachment to whatever result we can get. Yeah. Yeah, Congressman, we just have a, a little more than a minute before we hit the break and not enough time to uh, you know, have a, uh, somebody come on and ask a question. Um, how do you, how, what are you hearing from your colleagues about the possibility of the House actually initiating impeachment resolutions? And have you heard from any Republicans? Yeah, you know, so Republicans, I mean, at first, you know, there was the silence. Then we saw the, the, the tweets that didn't mention the president directly. Now we're starting to see a little bit of movement on that. And I, I think that, you know, um, privately they're not, uh, privately they've always been, I guess the rank and file members have always been a bit more um, hands off from him because they realize uh, some of the realities of what he means. But publicly, it's hard for them because of all the gerrymandering. They can get, you know, Tea Party primaries and all the rest. So they're in a weird balancing act sometimes. 
So I think for us, it's we're just trying to get them to the point that if the nation is at a, a certain point, then we can, you know, we need to deal with this president for his um, odd actions like this week, especially that we can actually get them to come on board and be able to do that. So at some point, and I think you and I have had this conversation, I think when they start really propping up Mike Pence might be the sign that they're about to, you know, with the move they need to to get rid of the president. Yeah, when Republicans start praising Mike Pence, look out. <laughs> well said. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour, taking your calls. It's Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back right back for your calls. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Mark Pocan on the line with us. It's Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program, taking your calls. Stephen in Ithaca, New York. Hey, Stephen, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, great to be on your show. I really love your show. Thank you. Um, well, I was thinking about nobody's ever um, mentioned how much business would save if, if we implemented a single-payer um, health insurance system. And I've done some rough calculations with 100 million people employed full-time. That's a low estimate. And business paying $6,000 a year. That comes out to, with my math, $600 billion a year that business would save. Congressman? Yeah, St- Stephen, um, we have had this conversation on here before. I mean, I, I look at the auto industry, right? Uh, cars made in Detroit and just across the waterway in Canada. You know, the difference uh, that it costs, I think what we had came up with before is the cost of health care is more than the cost of steel in a car. Um, there's no question. And, you know, I've been a small business person for 29 years. Tom uh, and Louise have been small business people. You know, we've had this conversation. There's no question that uh, there should be that as a central part of the, the conversation about not just is it essential that every person has a right to health care. You shouldn't go bankrupt because you get sick. But there is an economic reason for business to look at this and say, you know, we can, we can be more competitive if we're not trying to pay this uh, out of uh, our, our business uh, you know, proceeds and profits, essentially. So I, I completely agree with you. I think there's a good case to be made. And I think when we get the opportunity, um, probably not with this current Congress, because I don't see the Republicans going there, I think that's one of the major uh, arguments we make when we talk about single-payer or a Medicare for All system. Jeremy in Lawrence, Kansas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, yeah, um, I was um, just calling to make a rational proposal for all the Confederate statues um, across the United States. Um, could it be possible that we could bring the two sides together and possibly um, formulate a plan for like covered pavilions around the statues? I'll tell you, if I can, Jeremy, if I can answer your question a little bit differently, because um, I've had this conversation with a few people. I think we get a bit distracted when we are talking about the statues versus what really happened this week. The president stood up for people uh, who were Klan's people, white supremacists, Nazis, uh, at a rally uh, for what happened. And he wants to now bring it to a question about statues because some people are saying, well, you know, it's part of our history. It's important. You don't want to forget. There's a lot of other issues that come around that. I want to not forget that our president said there are very fine people who are Nazis, Klansmen, and uh, white supremacists. And that's why he is unfit to to be in office. Uh, When you have that kind of viewpoint, it's the opposite of what this country is about. So I I, I appreciate that we are going to have some kind of a debate around uh, the statues. I just hope that we don't lose focus, which is what he did was so morally repugnant on multiple levels that that should be the primary issue we're discussing, whether or not this person is fit to be the president of such a diverse nation. And that I, I absolutely we're just a, a minute out from our, our break at the bottom of the hour here. Um, I, I totally agree with that. However, you know, in Germany has no statues to Hitler. It's like typically the losers are not celebrated. Um, uh, you know, somebody, somebody tweeted yesterday, maybe we should just grind out all the people and leave the statues of the horse, you know, and put a thing, you know, here was the <laughs> statue for the loser. I, it seems to me like there's just no place for these in America. I, I just think the debate should be about, we have a president who took a stance that's the antithesis of what this country is about. 
and that's the real problem we have. And from that, <clears throat> I think we'll go back to what has been happening already, is that a lot of these statues have been coming down for the very reasons you said. But I think if we make the debate about statues, that's not a value like what this president did where he right. showed he has no morals and no values. So I just think that's the, the better focus to really make people understand this argument. So the, uh, the three options right now that I know of are, number one, he could resign. Number two, he could be impeached by the House of Representatives. Number three, his cabinet could initiate an article, a uh, uh, 25th Amendment, uh, you know, uh, action. Yes. Do you see likelihood in any of those three areas? <clears throat> Not yet, but, the, you know, the, the, I do think this week, I, seriously, was just the absolute low. I mean, I, I have... Um, I didn't think we'd ever get to this point that you'd have a president defending uh, Nazis and white supremacists and Klan people like he did. And I think that the business wing of the party now is starting to flee, that Republicans are starting to speak a little differently. The fact that he's taking on the Senate like he's been doing the Senate Republicans, I mean, he's not exactly um, ingratiating himself. So I think, you know, there, there could be opportunities. And I think the 25th Amendment is the one that I think is especially key to this. Impeachment takes a longer process. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent at my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish. And thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep taking breaks to stretch my back, I get more done than ever before. In a day, if you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The maker, just for you, my listener, the, the makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com right now, that's the letter X chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, dot com. Not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom when you check out. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom.com. Welcome back to Middays with Mark. Congressman Mark Pocan here on the Tom Hartman Program, taking your calls. Congressman, you're back with us? I'm here, Tom. Okay, great. Pat in Beloit, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, I want to bring up the issue, and, and I understand the racism factor with this whole thing, but the Nazi factor is what just sent me through the ceiling last week. My father went to war in World War II, as millions of other GIs did, to fight the uh, whole idea of this idea of Hitler and Nazism. And now we're letting it arise again in this country. Uh, someone ought to tour the... Uh, you know, the, the cemeteries that we left GIs behind, the damage that was done to our young men coming home. My father, personally, I didn't have a chance to live to see him or for me to become an adult because he had PTSD and committed suicide. I am angry that we are not doing more to emphasize the Nazism that's growing in our country as well as the racism. You know, absolutely, Pat. Uh, first of all, thanks for calling. Bloit's in my district, Tom, so i uh, always glad. Oh, great. Constituents. Yeah, calling in. Um, and, you know, it's absolutely shameful, um, Pat, and, you know, what happened this week. I mean, the fact that there would even be a debate about Nazis in 2017 in this country um, it just floors me. I never, ever, ever thought. This oh, but some of them are fine people, Congressman. Yeah, very fine people, I believe he said. I think he had very in front of there, too. Um, oh, it's just absolutely crazy. Let me add one other thing, because you mentioned your father's service to this country. I believe it's something like 40% of the people who um, right now are in our armed forces who defend this country are uh, people of color. And uh, when you look at something like that, and then you look at this president and his actions of this week, what does that say? I mean, when I watched all the military leaders basically standing up to their commander-in-chief in how they made their comments uh, very unequivocal uh, on this issue, because they realized that's the same people who are defending this country, and Donald Trump doesn't get it because they don't hang out at Mar-a-Lago, or apparently there are not enough Nazis in the in the people of color that he can uh, somehow uh, you know hang out with them. It's just absolutely mind blowing that 
how he handled it this week. And then he responded quicker to the, the terrorism that happened in Barcelona than the terrorism that happened in the United States. And again, you know, this guy picks and chooses. And I think it was four days before he tried to reach out to the family of uh, the victim in Charlottesville when, you know, other things, when it's been Muslim terror, it's been within a day. There's just so many things about this guy, his character. We now know it. And which is why I, I think, you know, more people need to talk about the 25th Amendment. This guy's not fit to serve. Stephen in Blacksburg, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh Yeah, this is Steve talking. Yep, you're on the air, Stephen. And uh, I, I really love your show, Tom. And Mark, I really appreciate the time that you spend uh, uh, pretty much daily. Uh, but, you know, I, I live right next to Virginia Tech. And 10 years ago, we had a real bad situation here. And a lot of campuses across the country said, you know, we're all Virginia Tech. And I feel the same way about Charlottesville now. We're all Charlottesville. And uh, I just wondered, do you think maybe racism isn't a mental disease? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I'll tell you, this... <sighs> It's just amazing. You know, I, I've followed and given money for years and years to the Southern Law Poverty Center, and I think they just do amazing work in tracking a lot of these groups. And I'm always, you know, I look at that map they put out every year and, and try to see what's in my area and different places I've been to and what groups are out there informing. You know, the fact that these groups now aren't, you know, going around in hoods and they're out on the street in their khakis and white polos um, says a whole lot about how they see the country under this president and how they've, you know, David Duke has commented about this president. You know, that just, uh, it's, it's just, I, I, I sometimes I feel like I don't even have the words, Tom, when it comes to this issue because it just uh, infuriates me to, to no end that we have a president in 2017 in a country that's as diverse as we are, with a military as diverse as we have, and this guy has no respect for anyone but, you know, apparently Nazis and white supremacist and Klansmen and, of course, people who can afford to go to Mar-a-Lago. It's just uh, truly embarrassing and uh you know, we need to keep the pressure up. I think the businesses doing what they did is important. We got to find more ways to put pressure on the Republicans to do the right thing. Yeah, it's beyond the pale. Charlie in Paulsboro, Washington. Hey, Charlie, you're on the yeah. air with Congressman Pocan. Morning, Tom. Good morning, Congressman. Um, it's Paulsboro. Mm, um, I'm I'm calling. I'll take this call offline. Um, I'm kind of curious as after Trump's comments uh, this weekend. Uh, Mike Pence came out and pretty much said, I agree with what the man said. Why is he getting a free pass? So he, I, I think, Charlie, he kind of dodged it, right? I mean, he kind of, you know, said all the stuff that other Republicans have been tweeting, which is, you know, racism is bad, blah, 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 but he won't take on the president. And again, I think, you know, this just shows us that, you know, should we remove Donald Trump, we still have uh, Mike Pence. And while he may not be as morally repugnant as Donald Trump is, um, he still is of a school of thought in a party that these folks um, are largely affiliated with. And that is still part and parcel of the problem we have. So I'm hoping that this maybe is the wake-up call uh, for people to realize that if you really want to live up to the, what the moral authority of this country, I believe, is among the people, uh, we've got to change some of the faces of people who represent us. And Mike Pence, in many ways, um, is doing the same thing as the Republicans. They're enabling this guy, and we need to remember that. Sibylla in Greer, South Carolina. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, uh, Tom and Congressman. I, I was calling about Afghanistan. I heard uh, on the news, and Pence is coming back, and they're going to discuss Afghanistan. It's my understanding from what I heard that uh, Eric Prince, uh, the president wants to get Eric Prince to take over Afghanistan with his troops, and that would be running about $10 billion a year. Have you heard about this? So I saw the story. I think the, the thing I would um, just say a little differently is I didn't see it that Donald Trump said that anywhere. What I think I saw was Eric Prince is going around presenting this as a proposal, that he could do it more efficiently for about $10 billion. He could have private uh, army uh, in Afghanistan and deal with it. And the fact that they happen to be meeting today about Afghanistan, right, is I think why it's, it's interesting with the timing. Um, I would absolutely uh, oppose any idea like this. I think there are a multitude of problems with it. Um, so, you know, if this comes out of his little think tank weekend, um, then we need to be ready to oppose it. But uh, right now it's been pretty much um, 
Mr. Prince, who's been proposing this as an idea, like a, a business idea. And um, again, I think many would oppose it, including in the Republican Party. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Senator uh, Congressman Pocan. I wanted to let you know that yesterday I actually got to speak to my Congresswoman, Martha Roby, about health care. And I gave her some facts about a uh, news source we have here called AL.com that did an article about the Blue Cross Blue Shield CEO a couple years ago complaining that his $21 million a year was an inadequate salary. And I wrote out the math and showed her that he was making a little over ten grand an hour. And I figured that someone that can't get by on ten grand an hour is either incompetent or just really, really wants another layer of gold bricks in his vault. But we, the people, cannot pay a health insurance premium that would provide that salary, which means the government would be subsidizing health insurance for the public. And I don't think that taking money out of the budget to subsidize that type of salary is a good idea. I also presented her with my figures on how to get everyone on Medicare. Right now it's 1.45%. Someone who makes, say, 20 grand a year could afford 10%, which means they'd be paying 2000 a year, but would have to put some kind of a cap on it, like the, right now there's a cap on how much people pay into Social Security, which I'd like to see raised, but... You don't want someone who's making $200 million paying 20 grand a year for health insurance. I don't think that that's necessary. But um, it was the first time I got to speak to her, and she actually stood there and listened to me and was kind of surprised at my figures. But now, What was her I, response, Norma? Did she give you a response on, uh, on if she supported any ideas around that? Well, um, she was very interested, and she demanded that um, her people take my phone number, which shocked me, and, um, you know, that I don't know if I'll ever hear back or not. Yes, but but Norma, here's what I would recommend. I think whenever someone talks to an elected official, and this is for everyone, you know, you really have to try to get um, them to provide a, a, a yes-no answer, and you should follow up absolutely and say, I sent you the information, what do you think? You know, make sure they send you a letter. Don't let them send you a letter that ignores the issue. You know, Tom, I always, when I, when I present to people about how to talk to elected officials, I always say, if their head is nodding when you're talking to them, do you know what that means? Yeah, muscles in their neck. The, the muscles in the back of their neck that allow it to bob. That's all it means. That's not a yes. That's not a no. And you have to hold them to actually giving you those kind of answers. So, you know, I think it's great that you had a chance to present that, Norma. Thank you for doing that. And now just follow up, right? Because they need to... I'm glad that she did a town hall. I wish Paul Ryan would do a real town hall like that, because I think those are helpful to people. But make sure you do the follow-up and, and make them answer, give you a real answer. Welcome back. Uh, Ellen, watching Free Speech TV in Manning, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, this is Ellen, and thanks, Tom, for taking my call. I'm very concerned about what's going to happen when Trump finally gets removed. It is very clear that Mike Pence and uh, Paul Ryan are part of the corruption that goes on, and it's very concerning to me. I'd like to ask Congressman Pocan, what can we do to uh, address the actual corruption that's going on in the Republican Party? And how can we bring this to light so that when Trump steps down, we don't have more of the same? Because I'm more concerned about Pence and Ryan than I am about anything yeah, Ellen, I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I think a lot of people have started to say things like, well, if we get rid of uh, Trump, you'll get Pence. And trust me, that's not a great prospect. He's very, very conservative, um, and he's not uh, as erratic um, as uh, Donald Trump is. However, um, you know, Donald Trump, because of that erratic nature, is part of what makes him so very dangerous. And if he's done something illegal, you're probably going to have impeachment if we find that he's not you know, really mentally competent to be president, which I'm, you know, questioning more and more, especially after this week, then that's another issue. But we got to remember, elections have consequences. And unfortunately, uh, what happened, uh, we're, we're paying the price of that right now. 
what we need to do, I think, is uh, make sure that we're you know, holding people accountable. And if we don't like what they're proposing, we don't want them privatizing Social Security, which they're proposing, or uh, voucherizing Medicare, which would be a cut to people who are receiving that, then you can change the faces of the people who represent you. And we just have to take politics on, uh, not as a spectator sport, and just be as active as possible so that uh, next year we can make some real changes. But, um, you know, let's keep the pressure on. Let's uh, try to hold them accountable. They have to be responsive to their constituents. Just keep doing that reach out, calling us on issues. It really does matter. We keep counts. We know what's going on, the pulse in the district, and it's very, very helpful. Devon in Blacksburg, Virginia. You're on the air with Congressman Pokan. Hi, Congressman. I just wanted to um, respectfully disagree on this point of the statues coming down. Um, it was a bit ironic and disconcerting maybe for Governor McAuliffe to, to claim that, you know, everyone in Charlottesville was from out of the state because here in the New River Valley, where Virginia Tech is located and where Steve Bannon cut his political teeth getting elected as student president in 1995, there are several civil war statues and no one has even put on the table, let's take them down. So it's an affront. It's a visual affront to the integrity of every citizen of Virginia and the United States who happens to be black to see those statues on display. And they need to come down now. Justice delayed is justice denied. And so I don't think we should politely move off the topic. Go Cavalier. Devon, we have just 20 seconds left. Let's let me get a response from sure. Congressman Pokin. Well, I, I, I don't think we necessarily disagree. I'm not saying move off the topic. What I'm saying is issues divide and values unite. The values, in this case, more people agree with us on. Let's focus on those values, which, of course, will lend themselves to removing more and more statues. But if we make this a debate about removing statues and not the value of what this country is really about, I think we're going to not be as effective as we could be. Interesting. Issues unite and, and issues divide and values unite. You know, I'd never, never thought of it in that context. Thank you for that. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your call right after this. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you with Congressman Mark Pocan on the line. It's been days with Mark and uh, Kevin in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind? Good day, Tom, and thank you for taking my call uh, and you for taking time to speak with us, uh, Congressman Pocan. I wanted to ask, um, how is the status of your SAFE Act for, to protect voting, and has there ever been any discussion of ways to have a recall or nullification, um, which possibly has to come from an amendment, because uh, we've been saying these guys are Nazis from the day they were elected. I mean, uh, Breitbart was run by Bannon, and they're the platform for the alt-right, so I'm just trying to sit here and keep my head from exploding. Yeah. Thanks. By the way, let me just toss in uh, MSNBC's uh, lower third. I'm not hearing the report, but the, the Chiron at the bottom said that, according to a senior administration official, Steve Bannon just got fired. Um, but we don't, I, you know, that's absolutely unconfirmed. Kevin, thank you for the call. Congressman? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing something from the New York Times. And I'm not sure if it's a demotion or a firing, yeah. um, but uh, exactly. So, uh, Kevin, two things. Quickly, a SAFE Act, um, we're right now in the process of gaining sponsors. I mean, this is the bill that would address the interstate cross-check issue as well as um, requiring paper uh, receipts on, on uh, voting machines as well as having random audits to, again, ensure that people can't interfere with elections. So uh, we're just you know, asking people to reach out to their members of Congress and ask them to sign on and you know, try to build support for it. Uh, and then secondly, you know, I think the conversation has happened, right, about how you nullify an election, especially um, if uh, it turns out the Russians interfered. Is that something? I haven't seen any concrete proposals put forward. I think you know, that would take a pretty serious debate and thought about how to do it uh, right if you're going to do something. Other countries do have that. But, um, you know, let's uh, keep the pressure up right now. At least we're stopping their agenda. Um, you know, they have done virtually nothing in the first eight months that they've had total Republican control of the House, Senate, and President. Uh, we're, we're winning. Let's just keep up that pressure. Gary in Santa Rosa, California. Hey, Gary, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Tom and Congressman. Um, 
In contract law, you have five conditions that must be met to hold people accountable. Uh, offer acceptance, capacity, consent, and consideration. If the 25th Amendment were to be invoked and uh, remove Trump uh, based on that, would it absolve or annul him from being held responsible or accountable for any of his uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, that being based on him being unfit or not having had the capacity? Gary, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that offhand. Um, What I can tell you is that I think when we look at impeachment, more people look at impeachment as a a crime-related, which is something that could come out of the the Miller investigation. But for all we know, that could be still going on a year from now, where right now, if you've got someone who's making um, erratic choices and saying things that are in complete contrast to the values of the country, the 25th Amendment is probably your more likely uh, vehicle. So I think that's how I look at it, um, is that you know perhaps the 25th Amendment should be the conversation because it goes to the very foundation of whether or not he's stable enough and responsible enough to be the president. Kristen, listening on Sirius XM in Camas, Washington. Kristen, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Kirsten. Thank you. Uh, I agree with you that we need to, uh, you know, consequences from the election we're suffering. So what exactly is the party doing so that we can win back those seats in 18? Uh, great, great question, Kirsten. <clears throat> so first of all, not even the party per se, but people are stepping up and deciding to run for office. And I think uh, a couple numbers that are worth noting. One uh, is that in the top 90 districts, like the most winnable 90 Republican districts, there's over 400 candidates already announced as, as Democrats. So you're going to have a lot of options and good people self-selecting to run. Uh, secondly, I think we have uh, de- right now Democrats running in something like 208 or so uh, districts that have a Republican incumbent, and they have about 10% of that uh, running against Democrats right now. So the good news is people are out there doing this. Uh, we're going to provide the support through the campaign committees, through the party. We're making sure we're doing the proper outreach and talking about the issues that I think we ignored in 2016. I think you know those core economic issues are especially important in many areas. But talking to voters now, not just waiting until election time. And again, those are things that I'm so glad Keith Ellison is at the DNC, because that's his values. That's what he's talked about. So I think there are a lot of things going on, but the best news is you know, the people uh, really have been so active and are there. We just need to keep that activity up going into the election in 2018. Brian in David City, Nebraska. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, I would like to comment on how everybody's attacking Trump because he, David Duke said he was glad that he had his back. And everybody's bringing up that we thought we defeated the Nazis in Germany and that we shouldn't have to put up with this today. But we didn't fight a war in Germany against Nazi people. We fought a war against the Nazi ideas, and we won. But the Nazi ideas are always going to be in a small minority of people. And an American idea is that we got freedom of speech. And Donald Trump is defending these people not because they're Nazis. He said he disagrees with the neo-Nazi beliefs. He is defending them to say what they want to say because they are American citizens protected by the First Amendment. Okay, Brian. Please, Brian, I wish I could agree with you. I can't even get close to agreeing with you because I think this guy, from everything he has said over his history of decades and everything he's shown that he's done, is that this guy uh, has a whole lot more in common, unfortunately, with them than with the rest of the country. So I don't think he's doing it for ACLU First Amendment reasons, uh, although I think there certainly could be a First Amendment case that people could have a contrary position. I don't think Donald Trump has that capacity in him. This is Donald Trump. He uh, hates Muslims. He hates a lot of different people that aren't look just like him and don't uh, pay to go to Mar-a-Lago. So uh, unfortunately, I just I disagree with the premise, Brian, but I could see where there could be an argument made in that case. Yeah, let us not forget the first time Donald Trump's name appeared in a headline in the New York Times. It was when he and his father were being prosecuted by the yes. by the federal government in the 1970s for refusing to rent their, their apartments to people of color. I mean, it's exactly. just... Anyhow, Congressman, we have just one minute left in the hour. Your thoughts on the upcoming week and what we should be looking for, what we should be doing, how people can be best using their political capital, as it were? Boy, I'll tell you, I was surprised in the last week what happened, so I don't know if I want to make predictions, other than just to keep saying 
keep doing what people are doing. I mean, reaching out to your member of Congress and, and your senator uh, right now, especially when they're home in August, is so very important to have those face-to-face conversations. It will help us immensely when we go back into session in September. So you um, being that super citizen and doing those things is really going to have a big impact. Just keep that reach out. We're winning. Keep it up. I'm, I'm very enthused. So show up at Democratic Party events, contact your members of Congress. Do you see any uh, you know, legislation that people need to be calling about. And and with the FCC and net neutrality, how can we lobby on that? Yeah, again, you know, you contact your member of Congress and let them know where you stand on things. Our big question, Tom, is I don't know where they're going to pivot in September, other than obviously we have to get the budget done and the debt ceiling. But whether or not they keep trying health care, whether they uh, try infrastructure, I doubt it. Um, whether they keep trying tax reform, which I assume they're going to try, but it's not going to be right. easy. I don't have a good answer on that. Okay, we'll see where it goes. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Great talking. We'll be back. Hey, Tom Harbin here with the Tom Harbin program. You know, I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Superbeets. I'm drinking Superbeets, a circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy and amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls Beets fitness in a glass. Superbeets, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Superbeets and feel results in as little as 20 minutes, guaranteed to your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry. I love them both. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer, you can try Superbeets for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of, in- of Superbeets with 10 packets to try and feel the results, plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Superbeets. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results, guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to TomsBeats.com. That's TomsBeats.com. Well, Bannon is uh, is toast, apparently. The uh, Maggie Haberman reporting over at the New York Times. President Trump has told senior aides he has decided to remove Stephen Bannon, embattled White House chief strategist who helped Mr. Trump win the 2016 election, according to two administration officials briefed on the discussion. Uh, So this is now, according to this article, uh, a person close to Mr. Bannon insisted the parting of ways was Bannon's idea and that he had submitted his resignation to the president on August 7th, a little more than a week ago, to be announced at the start of this week. But that resignation announcement was delayed in the wake of the racial unrest in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, uh, it's, it's really interesting. The article also points out that uh, Bannon, in terms of influence, uh, but as their alliance ruptured, he's, they're talking about, you know, Trump and Bannon. Uh, Mr. Trump elevated the roles of Gary Cohen, his top economic policy advisor and a former official at Goldman Sachs, and Dina Powell, a former Bush administration official who also worked on Wall Street. Mr. Cohen is a registered Democrat, and both he and Ms. Powell have been denounced by conservative media outlets as being antithetical to Mr. Trump's populist message. This is getting interesting. I remember reading the interview with Robert Kuttner, and in fact, he's going to be with us an hour from now, uh, Lord Willen and the Crick Don't Rise. Uh, he's the guy that, that you know, had the conversation with Steve Bannon. Um, and I remember reading that where in that interview, Bannon was asked about some of the uh, I think it had to do with trade policy. Some of the uh, Wall Street guys like Gary Cohen, who actually liked the TPP and liked NAFTA, they like these trade deals because the trade deals are good for big corporations and billionaires. So, of course, bankers being big corporations and many of them being billionaires like that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I remember when, he, when, when Bannon said these guys are wetting themselves, I thought, oh, my God, that's this is it. You know, B- Bannon just dissed some of the most powerful people in the administration. And then Trump, you know, on Tuesday when he did his whole uh, rant and he was asked about Steve Bannon, he said, oh, he's a nice guy. He's not a racist. You know, well, are you going to fire him? Oh, we'll see what happens. Right. When when somebody says, we'll see, you kind of know that's not a, that's not a, that's not an unequivocal, no, I'm not going to fire him. That's a, uh, it's possible. So, uh, you know, what did he know? What did, what do we know? Or, you know, what what and when. So anyhow, that's interesting. Here's another one. This is, uh, you know, kind of in the category of wildly underreported news. The uh, the Fox News channel 
which uh, up until Steve Bannon's resignation was announced for the last 24 hours, has been basically doing nonstop Muslim terror porn rather than talking about Charlottesville and Bannon and Trump and all this stuff. They immediately, as soon as they had a terrorist bad guy, uh, Fox News Channel just abandoned any discussion of American Nazis or racists or the president or any of this stuff and just went to basically nonstop disaster porn. Uh, they're, of course, talking about Bannon right now, but uh, that network, the Fox News Channel, is owned by the company that is owned by the Murdoch family, right? It, it, you know, it's owned by, it's by uh, Universal, or 20, 21st Century Fox owns Fox Movie Studio, owns a, the, the Fox Broadcast Network, owns a bunch of cable channels, including Fox News. And the guy who is the chief executive of 21, 21st Century Fox, now keep in mind, Rupert Murdoch's, ever since, uh, ever since the, the death, uh, the departure and then the death of Roger Ailes, Rupert Murdoch has been the guy who's been calling the tunes, at least according to the news reports I've seen, uh, over at Fox News. But the guy who actually technically has the position of CEO of 21st Century Fox and thus is the boss of the boss of Fox News is Rupert Murdoch's son, James. Are you following along with me here? James Murdoch is actually the guy whose, whose name is on the door. Right, who, who, who technically is the guy in charge of the company that's in charge of Fox News, even though his daddy is, you know, stirring the pot there. James Murdoch just sent an email to some of the uh, very fine folks at Fox News, and in the email he said, and I quote, what we watched this last week in Charlottesville and the reaction to it by the president of the United States concerned all of us as Americans and free people. I can't even believe I have to write this. Standing up to Nazis is essential. There are no good Nazis or Klansmen or terrorists. Democrats, Republicans and others must all agree on this and it compromises nothing for them to do so. And then uh, James Murdoch, son of Rupert, and his wife Catherine pledged a million dollars to the Anti-Defamation League. And in, an email, in this email, encouraged friends and colleagues to give what you think is right. So how long will Fox News continue to be the propaganda channel for the fascist right in the United States, for the America-hating right in the United States? How long is that going to be the case? I honestly, you know, have no idea, but I, I, have a, I, I just have this powerful, powerful sense that we are at a major inflection point in the United States. And, uh, you know, th th this was the essence of, of Crash of 2016 was that, you know, the, there, uh, you know it, 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 it envisioned an economic crash being the thing that would push us over the top. I wrote the book before Donald Trump was even running for president. And... You know, the Trump presidency is a disaster. Some kind of disaster, basically, I was saying in this book, Crash of 2016, is going to cause us to do that reboot that we do every 80 years when we have a disaster. We did it in the 1920, in the 19, early 1930s. We became far more progressive with Franklin Roosevelt. We did it in the 1860s. We ended slavery after the Civil War. We did it in the 1770s where, when we separated ourselves from Great Britain. Each one of these things were 80 years apart, four generations. This is the fourth turning, Straussenhaus's fourth turning. And I, you know, I think it's real and I think it's happening. And, and when James Murdoch is coming out in opposition to the president of the United States, and he's the guy who is the CEO, the chief executive officer of the company that owns Fox News, I'm wondering if there's a bunch of people working at Fox News going, oh, really? Gulp. So we'll see where that goes. The other story, I really want to focus on this. This is a big deal. This is a huge big deal. And this is this article in the dcreport.org is, is where I saw it. It's written by Sarah Okeson. Uh, retirees may have to wait longer to get their paperwork processed to receive Social Security benefits. Why? 
Trump is offering early retirement to workers at Social Security Administration, about 15,000 of the agency's 62,000 employees would qualify, or about one in four employees. So the goal here is, is explicit. You know, back in 2005, George W. Bush, after the election in 2004, said, I just got reelected. I have political capital. I'm going to go out and spend it. And he went on a road show. He traveled through about a dozen U.S. cities, pitching the idea of privatizing Social Security. It's what he ran for Congress on back in 1978 and lost down in Texas. It's what he ran for president on in 2000 and 2004. And I mean, he didn't talk about it a whole lot in like national ads where Democrats might hear it, but every Republican knew that was George W. Bush's thing. In fact, he told his biographer, Mickey Herskowitz, that he was going to have a war in Iraq that was going to be a big war because it would get him reelected and give him the political capital to privatize, to, to destroy Social Security. Well, as he did his roadshow in 2005, as George W. Bush did his roadshow, going from city to city and just saying right out loud to people, Social Security is broken. Best way to fix it is to privatize it. You know, the big banks in New York, they can handle this better than the federal government. Private industry is always more efficient. It's all BS, of course, but this was his sales pitch. And nobody bought it. I mean, literally every time George W. Bush gave a speech about the benefits of privatizing Social Security, support for privatizing Social Security went down another five or 10 points until it reached the point where it was down in the 20s and 30s and, and George W. Bush realized he couldn't even get this thing through Congress if he wanted to, and he just gave up and just went back to, you know, torturing people in Guantanamo and pulling the wings off flies and stuff. So this has been, you know, project one for the Republican Party ever since the Franklin Roosevelt administration. Destroy Social Security. We cannot have a social program in the United States that the Democrats are responsible for that people like. Can't have it. And, you know, they've had a real challenge doing it. So now Trump is going to try and do it. And, and I, I, I frankly, I don't think Trump is smart enough to have thought this up. I'm guessing it was probably Pence or, you know, the uh, Cohn or somebody in his in his cabinet. But, you know, this is classic Republican. Don't destroy the program. Just break it so badly. They, did, they tried the same thing with the Veterans Administration a decade ago. Just, you know, underfunding the decade, the, the Veterans Administration to the point where people were dying. And then when people started dying and, and the wait times got really bad, the Republicans all came out and said, oh, look at this. The, the Veterans Administration is all screwed up. We need to privatize it. And they're trying to do that right now. They're going to do the same thing with Social Security. A year from now, when it takes you two hours on hold, you're going to hear Republicans say, we just need to privatize it. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is Robert Kuttner, the co-founder and co-editor of The American Prospect. A professor of Brandeis University's Heller School, the author, a author of numerous books. His latest is Debtor's Prison, The Politics of Austerity Versus Possibility. The website is prospect.org. His Twitter is rkutner, R-K-U-T-T-N-E-R, or at the, the prospect. Robert Kuttner, uh, it's been a, it seems like it's been a couple of years since we've talked. It's been a while anyway. Welcome back Probably to the program. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for joining us today. You had this this totally bizarre phone call from Steve Bannon a few days ago or uh, last week and, uh, you know, turned it into an article and it's gone all over the world. And now Steve Bannon has been booted out of the White House. Tell us what's going on here. <laughs> well, um, I think he was on pretty thin ice uh, uh, even before that's that story's uh, coming out. I think uh, Kelly increasingly felt that it was either uh, Bannon or, or him. I think the president was getting increasingly uh, annoyed at Bannon's freelancing. And I think the fact that he called me is uh, an indication of his recklessness. Uh, I mean, he knew that he was on the ropes and he was inviting me to come see him at the White House after Labor Day. He was also saying, uh, if, if you and your listeners have read the, the interview, some incredibly reckless and incautious things about other people at the White House, about his boss's Korea policy. And I think, you know, uh, there, the, the Greeks used to say character is faith. And I think there's a grandiosity and a kind of hubris, another Greek concept, about this guy that's, that's very reminiscent of Donald Trump. I was, you know, I, I read your 
your your piece uh, when it when it first came out and and discussed it at some length, in fact, here on this program over several days. And I was wondering out loud on the air, and I'd love to get you know a reality check from you because you're the guy who was there. If it's possible that Bannon knew that he was uh, under siege, and or maybe even not that. Uh, my my initial thought was, okay, John Kelly has basically broken this direct line of communication between Bannon and Trump. Bannon can no longer just walk into the White House whenever he wants. No, no, no. But let, just pause on that for a second because um, um, we know that. Uh, Trump has a habit of making phone calls at all off hours. And I think anybody who thinks that Trump is still not going to be in touch with Bannon, even if Bannon is no longer the White House, is kind of naive because uh-huh. he depends on this guy. This guy, Bannon is the architect of his white supremacist strategy. Trump has doubled down on that. He, he needs Bannon. And even though he was irritated that Bannon was freelancing and contradicting him, uh, even my my bet would be even when Bannon's out of the White House, Trump is going to continue to be in touch with. That makes sense. I was wondering if he was just trying to get around Kelly to get a message to Trump via you. And uh, but apparently not. No, I, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think so, because. Um, um, I, well, what's really interesting here is that uh, the first day after this broke, uh, Bannon claimed he, he hadn't realized that we were off the record. And, of course, the ground rules are when you get a phone call from a White House official who doesn't bother to say that we're on background, the assumption is that we're on the record. That's, that's right, and this, is, this guy's a publisher, and he's been in the media business yeah, for 20 years. He knows this. Yeah. But I think the second day he changed his tune and gave an interview with, of all places, the Daily Mail of London and said, well, in fact, um, this was deliberate. I deliberately uh, put this out uh, to distract the media's attention from the, from their obsession with Charlottesville. So, number one, he changes his spin from day to day. He directly contradicted himself. Uh, and number two, of course, if that was his game plan, it certainly did work because, A, Trump is doubling down on the white supremacy strategy, and, B, there's more of a media frenzy about that than ever. So... I think what happens is you get too full of yourself and you start making errors. And uh, he's, he's very smart. He's very strategic. Some of his strategy makes sense. Some of it's lunatic. I think one of the other really crazy things is um, his assumption that putting together some kind of grand left-right coalition on trade policy could cut ice at the Trump White House. Uh, now, it's true that some of the criticisms that nationalist conservatives have made about America being taken to the cleaners by China are not all that dissimilar from criticisms that guys like me make and trade unionists make. But can you imagine Donald Trump walking into a meeting of the National Security Council and Defense Department, the State Department, and U.S. trade rep saying, hey, you'll never guess what I got Bob Kuttner supports me on this. I mean, that alone would be, uh, hey, you're fired. So I, I think... You get too full of yourself, you make errors of judgment. And I think that's that's what happened here. That's very interesting. You know, in this business, in the radio and, and TV business, it's I've always said, you know, when you begin to believe your own PR, you're 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 in huge trouble. Uh, and and I've I've known more than one person who has gone down that road. Um, uh, and and I, you know, uh, between myself and and my wife, who also produces the program, she does a really good job of keeping me grounded on this stuff. It's but it seems like Steve Bannon has nobody in his life who is who is you know helping him have a little perspective, and he himself has lost it. Uh, what what does this mean for our country? Well, it means that the Trump White House is more chaotic than ever. Uh, I mean, they've you know they they fired uh, the chief of staff, they fired the chief political strategist, they fired the communications director. This is not a good sign, and uh, it it means that Trump himself, with all of his craziness is more in charge without people giving him advice. Uh, I think the two people who may have some influence uh, are Kelly. We'll see how long he lasts. And not clear how much influence Pence has. Trump distrusts him because Pence is sort of looking beyond uh, Trump's ouster to his administration. Yeah. Uh, Brutus. Cone, uh, came close to sending signals that he might have to resign over the anti-Semitism. So... I guess what I'm waiting for 
is the re- for the Republicans to recognize what a total catastrophe this is for the country and get on board either an impeachment or an ouster under the 25th Amendment. I mean, we're not there yet, right. but you can see this vectoring in on that end game. Or option three is the Howard Baker phone call. You know, Howard Baker famously called Richard Nixon, uh, Howard Baker, you know, the leading Republican in the Senate, and called Richard Nixon and said, uh, you know, it's time to resign. If you don't, we're going to yeah, take you that down. Was, that was after impeachment had begun. And uh, I mean, I think the the closest equivalent of that would be um, Mueller tenders his report, Democrats in the House file an, uh, an impeachment inquiry, and maybe they get enough Republicans in the House to join them. And then then the fight is on. Right. And But that's very protracted. That could take a while. Um, you know, any anything could happen. I mean, there are people who are, who are saying that Trump could resign. Um, so I don't, <laughs> I certainly didn't see this coming with Bannon. The last thing in the world I expected on my, my, my vacation was Stephen Bannon picking up the phone and calling me. So I, I'm not going to try and crystal ball what yeah. the end game is, but I think there will be an end game. Yeah, I agree. And I, 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 I share your perception. In fact, I've been saying on this program for some time that the day that the Republican Party institutionally, that the, the, the majority, you know, the tipping point is reached in the Republican Party and the penny drops, that all this chaos in the White House, you know, even though they're giving the, the polluting industries and the billionaires, particularly the petrobillionaires, the Koch network, everything they want through Scott Pruitt at the EPA and Ryan Zinke at Interior and Betsy DeVos in education. I mean, there's just some real evil stuff going on in these in these areas, real destructive stuff to our democracy and, and, and very, very helpful to the billionaires and their companies, even though they're getting everything they want there. The real big prizes are taking down Social Security, which today we just learned uh, the Trump administration is is uh, in their next budget. They're going to uh, Trump is asking one quarter of the Social Security workforce to take early retirement, which means that Social Security is going to be broken next year. That you're not. Well, even- he's fl- he's you know he's flailing in a number of different directions, and one of the things you don't take on in this country is is Social Security. Um, but I think you raise a very important larger point, and that is that. While we are preoccupied with this carnival sideshow that is Donald Trump and Stephen Bannon, um, the alliance of the Republicans, the mainstream Republicans, who are really the far-right Republicans, and the Trump administration is assaulting everything else that we hold dear, and we have to keep our eye on that ball as well. But where I was going with that is when the Republicans realize that they're not going to get their tax cuts, they're not going to get, you know, the... the, uh, the end of Social Security. They're not going to get Medicare destroyed. I mean, they're Medicaid anyway. They already tried that. It didn't work. Um, once they realize that the chaos in the White House is preventing this from happening, they're going to say, you know, Mike Pence would not be this chaotic. Mike Pence would just, you know, be the good lieutenant who signs whatever we give him, and he's going to keep his mouth shut, and we're going to have a no-drama White House. It's time for a change. And when that happens, when, when, when that critical mass is achieved in the Republican Party, uh, you know, th- there'll be a few Democrats along for the ride, but I think re- the Republicans are going to ter- take Trump down. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think the question is when enough Republicans uh, cross over that line. And every time he's done something completely crazy in the past, we said, OK, this is it. This is it. Right. Uh, and he, you would have thought that Charlottesville, followed by Trump doubling down on the neo-Nazi stuff, would be it. That would be it. Uh, but it isn't. Yeah, we so, thought this uh, when the Access Hollywood tapes came out. Yeah. No, all I mean, you, you, you can go down the whole list. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's remarkable. Robert Kuttner, you're doing great work. The American Prospect, well, the uh, co-founder. Is, this is, this is great work that I didn't think uh, I was going to do, but I was uh, intrigued that it happened. You were the right man at the right place at the right time. Right it's, the right it's, place, the right it's brilliant. All right, my friend. Yeah. Thanks so much. Robert Kuttner, thank you so much for being with yep. us. And, and your latest book, Debtor's Prison, The Politics of Austerity versus Pol- uh, Possibility. And people can check out Prospect. Thank you, Robert. Take care. Bye. Good talk. Bye.